Amen. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood. Well, um, let's, let's go ahead and, and get ready to dive right in. So uh, if you would, as is our custom, let's stand and get ready to read the word of God. Uh, so please open, open, open your Bibles with me to uh, Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, uh, verses... Verses 1 through 5. Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. When you get there, say amen. amen. I'm going to hold on four more seconds because I, I hear pages still turning. Amen. All right, let's, let's, let's go ahead and dive in. Go ahead and read with me. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom... 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. Keep going. And over them three not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for these unique times of being able to come together and, uh, and hear your word uh, and be discipled by you and be uh, injected by, with life by the Spirit uh, to, to have our hearts transformed, to have our minds renewed as we seek to walk and live life in a manner worthy of the calling you've called us to. And so I pray that this time will be a time where we can be encouraged by your word. Uh, and so we just pray for clarity and passion as your word of God goes forth, uh, that it might bring uh, repentance and change and encouragement in all that it does uh, as, it, as it teaches. And so uh, we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Well, this morning we are going to talk about uh, the man and his work, the man and his work. Um, one, one of the things I've noticed uh, in, in our culture, especially with uh, today's, in this age group today, like my, my particular age uh, gap, that, that, that 18 to, to 45-year-old age range, is uh, as it relates to work, um, there is a deep-seated sense of entitlement um, that says, uh, I want to do less but get more, right? I want to do less but get more. Um, and so I've experienced it, uh, before, you know, just in the workplace in different areas and, and arenas in life. And, and, and there's, just, there's just a mindset that says, I, I deserve to get the full benefits of what other people are getting without having to do what they had to do to get to where they are. I just expect to show up and be rewarded because I'm here, Right? And, and so uh, what that stems from, it's, and so th th that stems from a, a number of things, but, uh, but, but what we've seen now is that that mindset has begun to penetrate into 
the culture of the church um, um, and the culture of the home, especially as it relates to men, right? And so uh, one of the things we want to look at today is we want to look at we want to look at the purpose of work. Like, what what was the purpose of work that God created it for? Uh, and then we want to look at an example in the life of Daniel as to what that what that character of work looks like, both in practice uh, of the, the character of the man himself, but also in the actual work that he's doing. Okay? Y'all with me? All right, so, so let's do this. Hold, put, keep your finger there, Daniel 6, and jump over to uh, Genesis chapter 1, if you will. Chapter, Genesis chapter 1, verse uh, 28. Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 28, because there are some very key things that I think we need to establish about what God intended work to be before we can wrap our minds around how we go about engaging the actual work that we're supposed to be doing. So, so God's created everything. Uh, he created everything. He's uh, day, days one through six, and uh, he's just created man. Uh, and, and right after God creates man, he gives them a task to do. And we'll go through what that task is, uh, but after he gives man that task to do, once all the work was completed, God uh, said uh, some words. He said, it was very good, right? After he did, uh, after he created on day one uh, through five, he said it was good. By the time he had finished on day six, he said he looked at all of his creation, everything he had made, and he said, it is very good. Uh, and so well, let's look at real quick, verse 28, what God uh, 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 gave man to do as it relates to responsibilities. It says, and God blessed them. Th- this is key. God blessed them, which means before he even gave them a task to do, he said, I want you to know that when you go to actually put your hands to what I'm calling you to do, you will see fruitfulness because I've already blessed it for you. So you're not depending on what you, you don't, you're not trying to depend on yourself to accumulate some sort of success with what I'm calling to you to do. I've already blessed it. Just go do. That's what he's telling man. So he blessed them. And then what does it say? It says, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Right? So he says, I've given you the gift of sex. I want you to have lots of babies. I want you to fill the earth. What was the purpose of that? We've talked about that, uh, talked about this a little, little bit before. The, 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 the blessing that God gave man for sex was children. Why? Because in, in God giving children, God gave man the responsibility of reproducing the image of God and filling that image of God across the earth. So, so, so God says, I want you to be reproducible image bearers of my glory across the earth. That's the first task I'm giving you. So I'm going to give you sex. And the blessing of that is children. Now go fill the earth, right? So he gives them that first one. And then he says, what? He says, and subdue it, the earth, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air. So have dominion over everything. So that that word subdue means to subjugate, to conquer, uh, to have control over, right? And so God tells them, he says, not only do I want you to reproduce my image across the face of the earth, but I want you to to, uh, subjugate and bring uh, the rest of the earth uh, underneath your rule. I want you to subdue the earth. Right now, now we know that that word subdue is related to work because in chapter two, verse five, it says, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, 
for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. So, so we know that that, that, that that word subdue is related to the work that God had called man to do in relation to making the rest of the earth look like the prototype that was in the garden. Right? So why did he tell man to do that? Now, for, for that, we can jump to Romans chapter 1, verse 20, which says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Right? And so what happens is God creates everything. God creates everything. And in everything that God creates, when man looks at it, it's supposed to be a reflection of God's invisible attributes. So when you look at what's been created, you're supposed to see the eternal beauty, majesty, uh, power of God. That was the purpose of this creation, being able to, be, being able to reflect him in a way that was different than man, yet, yet both man and being the image of God and creation and having the uh, uh, invisible attributes of God, they were both created to give God glory, right? Now, now what, what happened, though? Uh, in verse 18, it says that, uh, that the wrath of God was revealed against all ungodliness. Why? Because man suppressed the truth about God. Then in verse 21, what does it say? It says, because they did not give him honor and did not thank him. So when man saw this creation, instead of saying, man, all these things that were created show the the beauty and and power and holiness and eternality of God, instead of doing that, they didn't worship God when they saw the creation, right? So so let's, let's jump back. So in Genesis 1, God says, I want you to be reproducible image bearers, fill the earth. Adam, I want you to subdue the earth, and I want you to make the rest of the earth look like, like, like the garden. Why? Because when you have the earth filled with image bearers, they need something to see on the earth to give glory to God. And they see that through the work that God had called Adam to do, which was to make all of the world look like the garden so that when these image bearers looked up and beheld the beauty of that creation, they would give thanks, honor, and praise to God. Adam's work was supposed to produce worship. The work that Adam was called to do was supposed to produce worship. Okay. So we have purpose now. Y'all with me? Purpose. God, God purposed the work that Adam was supposed to do. He blessed him before he even went to do the work. And the purpose was so that the, 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 the work that Adam was called to do, when Adam put his hands to it, it would bring about, about fruitfulness, expansion, growth. He was supposed to be a cultivator. And the, the end product of all of those things was so that man could look upon it and worship God. All right, flip back with Daniel. Flip back to Daniel. So we got purpose now. So we've got purpose of why God created work, the work that man was supposed to be doing. Let's look at, uh, let's look at what this looks like in the life of, of Daniel, a man. 
Now, by way of background, Daniel, we, by the time we get to this point in Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, he's under the authority of, of King Darius, who is king of the Medes and Persians. Uh, what's happened is Daniel being a Jew, uh, his people, uh, his nation was conquered uh, by Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, and he was deported from his land, from his home. He was deported halfway across the country uh, into Mesopotamia, where Babylon was. And, and so now he's, him, him and, and the majority of his people are living as slaves in Babylon. So they're there. Uh, he's, he, he's, he's risen to a place of high regard under Nebuchadnezzar by interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which is a crazy scene. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he says, um, he says, I don't, I'm not going to tell you the dream. I want you to tell me the dream and then interpret it. If you can't do that, I'm going to kill you. I mean, that's just, just like, this is, this is the, I mean, it was crazy. Can you imagine somebody coming up to you and say, uh, Jose, I had a dream last night. It's really bothering me. I need you to tell me what it was and interpret it. Because if, if I tell you what it is, then you can just make up anything. But just to know that, that I can trust what you're saying. You have to tell me what I dreamt and then interpret it. And if not, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> How would you feel about that, Jose? <laughs> right, right. Not good. Not good. But, 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 but Daniel, Daniel, he, he trusted God. God. God gave him the dream and the interpretation. So he, held, he, he, he lifted himself uh, in position to, or Nebuchadnezzar promoted him. Uh, and then at the end of chapter two, we see that uh, as well as Daniel getting promoted, he says, hey, Neb, uh, I got three of my boys here. Can you promote them too? And Neb does it, right? So uh, Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all get promoted. They all have positions of high regard. Then Belshazzar comes along, who is uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son. Um, there's the incident of the writing on the hand. So basically, he steals um, some vessels and cups uh, and plates and all that stuff from the temple and has a private party with it. Now, mind you, they, they, they weren't supposed to touch, use none of that stuff. So he takes it from the temple, the, the temple of the Jews uh, that was set aside for the Lord. He takes it, has a private party, and they, they getting it in in the party and all that stuff. And then out of nowhere, a hand comes and just starts writing on the wall, right? Not a body. It's not attached to a body. It's just fingers and a palm, and it's writing stuff on the wall, Right, um, and again, um, um, we'll we'll get to it. But Nebuchadnezzar's wife remembers Daniel. We'll talk about this a little bit when we talk about what it means to have an excellent spirit. But his wife remembers Daniel, and they call upon him to help. And so now we've got the Persians and the Medes who come in and conquer the Babylonians who who were already in there. So Daniel was already a slave, and now now he's basically a slave of a slave, because another group has come in and conquered the group that had already conquered him and his people. Right. So in terms of social order, he's kind of he's kind of at the bottom here. Right. Um, but it says that it said, as it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom, 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might not suffer any loss. Now, you got to understand Darius was a businessman. Right. And so what Darius did was he said, since I'm a businessman and since I don't want to experience law, since I don't want to end the year in red and I want to make sure I'm in the black, I'm going to set up these groups of people who, can help, who I, can, I can send out as delegates of my authoritative power to make sure that they get stuff done. One of the things that they had to get done was because they had just came in and conquered a group of people, one of their goals was basically to crush any hope 
of individuality, uh, religiousness, or, or, or any of that stuff that the, the people they conquered had. So they wanted to make the Jews look just like them. That's what you did when you conquered a, per, a, a people like a nation other than yourself. You made them take on the God that you worship, the food practices that you ate, like everything about your culture you wanted to wipe out about them. So that after this, there, wouldn't, there would be no more uh, Israel. There would be no more the Jews because now they've adopted your culture. They've adopted who you are. They've adopted your religious practices, right? Um, and so, so Darius sets out and he, he, he sets up these 120 tra- satraps, which are kingdom protectors. He sets up three presidents above them, which are basically governors. And the, the 120 answer to the three, right? Daniel's one of the three. So Daniel, for some reason, makes his way into being one of the three. Somehow, after he's, he was a conquered person who now has been conquered again by another person, yet he, he somehow finds his way in this group of three that has responsibility that's in, that, that falls right underneath the king. Right? So let, let's, let's, let's go on real quick. Ver, uh, look at verse 3 with me. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. Let's talk about this excellent spirit. So the Bible says that there's, there's 120 satraps, there's three presidents. Daniel's part of the three. Daniel now rises as the cream of the crop to the very top, to, to number one of the three. And it's because he has an excellent spirit in him. Now, the, the, that, that's saying something because, again, Daniel was basically a slave. And so he's getting this promotion based off of the reputation of his work and the reputation of his character. And I'm, I'm going to tell you why. If you look at chapter 5, this is, this is the incident with Belshazzar and the writing on the hand, and Belshazzar is going all crazy. He's basically, he basically turned, his skin turned pale. You could see his bones because he was so scared about this handwriting on the wall. He didn't know what it meant. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar's uh, wife, who was the queen, um, basically says to him, let's look at verse 10 and see what he says. See what she says. She says, the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers because an excellent spirit, again, there's that word, excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So what does it mean to have an excellent spirit? Because it's more than just his ability to interpret genes. Look at this list that she gives out. She says, first, it's, uh, it, first it's an excellent spirit. Then she says, knowledge. Then she says, understanding to interpret dreams, explain rhythms, solve problems, were found in this man. Right? So what is, that, what, is that, what is she saying about Daniel? Because it has more to do than just his ability to tell a dream uh, and interpret the dream. She's saying that Daniel is trustworthy. 
He's honest. He's hardworking. He's kind. He's faithful, which means he can be depended on. He's knowledgeable about what he does and what he's supposed to be doing. And he's a problem solver. So these are all attributes of Daniel that, that, that say when, when people think of Daniel, they say Man, that he knows how to get stuff done. And he can be relied on to be able to get stuff done. And he doesn't have an attitude when he does it. Like, like Daniel, isn't, Daniel isn't behind the scenes causing drama and then talking one way in front of his employer when they're when they in his face. Daniel's a slave of another people group, and yet he's given a primary responsibility right below the king in terms of administrative duties and authority, and they trust him enough because of his character to handle any kind of task in the kingdom. Because he had an excellent spirit. There was, there was something about his work ethic and his character as a man that allowed them to say, oh, we trust him better than the, the same people who we've been working with to help us conquer his people. Wow. An excellent spirit was in him. And then it says, so, so the king planned, verse 3, end of verse 3, the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Right? Uh, then the presidents and satraps Let's, let's read 4 and 5, and then we'll deal with all this together. Uh, then the presidents and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. Underline, he was faithful. Because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Underline, no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel, unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So this is basically what happened. So Daniel, Daniel's, he's so reliable and he's so trustworthy and he's such a faithful dude. And people just want to give him stuff to do because they know he'll do it right. Like that's what kind of guy he is that he's risen now from, from, to, to the, cre the cream of the crop, right? And so you've got, you've got 120 satraps and the other two presidents. And so now they're, if I can do the, the quotes, they're hating on Daniel, right? So, so we, we've got a bunch of haters on Daniel right now. And so what they say is, let's, let's find something. Let's find something in his character or in his work that will contradict and, and, and diminish his ability to be in the position he's in. Let me, let me make this plain. That's 122 people. If I sent 122 people to your job right now, 122 auditors to your job right now, would they be able to find something wrong with your work? We're not just talking about one hater. We ain't talking about just that one person on your job that don't like you and always got something smart to say. We're talking about 122 people that are out to get Daniel. So they're going through the kingdom, and they're, they're giving interviews. They're checking all his records, all his transactions. They're checking everything about Daniel to find something wrong so that they can go to the king and say, he's not worthy to be in that position. If we sent 122 people to your family members and your closest friends, would they find any character issues with you? 
that would cause somebody to step back and say, I don't know about them no more. What if, some, what if there were 122 just invisible people just watching you at home with your wife or with your, your kids? Watching how you respond when you're tired or when you're angry. Would, would they find something wrong with your character? See, Daniel, Daniel was a, a, a well-rounded man to the point where they couldn't find anything in his actual work as in the job of his career he's doing as an administrator, but they also couldn't find any flaws in his character that were worthy enough to bring before the king and say he's not worthy of this spot. They couldn't find it. And so, so Darius is, is about to set him up. They're searching and searching and searching, and finally they come together and say, we can't find nothing. Nobody's got anything. Nobody's got anything. And, and, and they, they hate Daniel so much, and they're so jealous of him that they say, okay, since we can't find anything in his character, and since we can't find anything in the actual work that he does, the work that he gets done, we have to trick the king. We've got to kill him. And we can't just kill him outright because the king likes him. So we've got to trick the king into killing him for us because then Daniel will be gone. And so that's when we get to the part of, that's where we get to them tricking Darius, them going to Darius and say, man, everybody's in agreement that only people should pray to you. Mind you, Daniel was never in that conversation when they're standing before the king, but they all go to the king and say, hey, we're all in agreement. Everybody's good. I think we should only pray, with, pray to you for 30 days because they knew Daniel. The only thing, see, Daniel was so faithful, and it, it didn't matter. Like, there was nothing and no one that was going to keep him from worshiping his God. And so they said, the only way that we can get Daniel from out of this spot is to find something with him and his God that doesn't fit with what Darius wants to do. And so this, this, is the, this is the type of character of, uh, of the man that we're, that, that we're dealing with. And mind you, they've already got, they've already got a little beef going, um, the conquering people and, and the Jews. Um, because in chapter 3, before the Hebrew, before Shadrach, uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got sent into the fiery furnace, there were a group of high officials who went to Nebuchadnezzar and said, and said hey, they don't worship the God that you serve. They don't worship the gods you serve. That's, that's all they said. Mind you, the chapter four, all four of them had just got promoted. Daniel and, and the three Hebrew boys got, all got promoted. And, and notice, even in that instant, they never said anything about their work ethic. They, they never said anything about the quality of their work. They said, they don't serve the same God as you do. Throw them into the fire. With Daniel, it, they couldn't find anything with his work, so they said, we know we'll catch him praying in that 30 days to his God. Here's some practical stuff, and then, we'll, we'll, then I want to share some more stuff. So practical stuff. So keep, keep, why y'all laughing? So keep, keep in mind the, 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 the purpose of work, right, why God created work, 
but also the, the example we have from the life of Daniel um, as it relates to this particular situation and even the character of his time underneath Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and Darius, Cyrus, and all of those other kings, right? Uh, so, so one, man, man was created for work. What does that mean? There's an expectation that you are responsible for having a sustainable job. There's an expectation that you are responsible for having a sustainable job. Some of us guys try to make careers out of a hobby. What, 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 do I, what do I mean by that? It's, it's good that you, because most of us would agree that we, we, we want a job that we're going to love to do. Let me bust your bubble. That's not going to be most of y'all. I'm just going to be honest with you. Most of y'all are not going to be fully in love with the job that you're doing. But what, what happens typically with, with men is we find something that we like to do, and then we neglect real work to try to make a career out of the thing that we like to do, even though it doesn't support us and has no possibility of moving forward. And even when it does has the possibility of moving forward, we always jump the gun and try to make it seem like it's further along than really where, it, where it really is. Now, now I'll say this. There, there, there are... There, there are hobbies that can become a career or a job, right? But, but until it's able to sustain you so that you can pay your bills on time and take care of a family, it's a hobby. Two. Y'all so crazy, too. So your goal should be to be the best at what you do, not just doing the bare minimum. The goal should be to be the best at what you do. It's not being arrogant. It's not being selfish. If Again, if we're saying that the purpose of work is to glorify God, then when you're the best at what you do, what happens? People notice you. They notice that there's something different about the character of your work and the actual work that you're doing, and, 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 and it distinguishes you from how everybody else works. So then people want to know why you work the way you work, and what does that provide? An opportunity to share the gospel. There's, there's, there's too easy a willingness in men to just come in and coast. Be the best at what you do. That, like, don't, and listen, God requires that from you. So let's not make that like it's not, like it's not an issue. No, it is an issue. God requires you to be the best at what you do. Right? Now, somebody might be better than you, but you need to do the best that you can do. Amen. 
I'll just jump into this next one because it kind of ties in. Number three, you are not to be an evangelist at your job. Your job at your job is to work. Nobody cares about your Jesus if you're always late. Nobody wants to hear anything about a resurrection if they've always got to come behind you to finish stuff that you don't do. They don't care about the gospel when your work stinks. Nobody cares. Show some faithfulness of getting your stuff done. Helping out when other things need to be done. Showing some sacrifice. Showing a trajectory of wanting to get things accomplished. Show faithfulness first before you try to open your mouth about the gospel. Because nobody cares. Four. Expect to work hard. I even wrote down the definition of work. (laughs) To engage in an activity involving considerable expenditure of effort. (laughs) To engage in an activity involving considerable expenditure of effort. That's why it's called work. Pastor Larry knows I have a problem when I get a little angry or I just want to punch people in the face. We've talked about that. He's, he's shepherding me through that. But I, listen, there is, there's something wrong when you finally get a job and it's not with what you expected it to be and you try to justify leaving because it's too much work. And the only reason you want to leave is because it's more work than you wanted to do. That's just laziness. Work is supposed to be hard. There's no such thing as easy work. And, and, and so, so many times, again, we talked about that, that entitlement piece where we don't think we have to work hard. We just want stuff to come to us. We want the results of hard work without having to do anything. Work is going to be hard. And you know what you do? You do it anyway. If you have aspirations of being married, or even if you're married now, it's hard work to provide for a family. It's not easy. Don't just think you're going to marry this girl and then your little haphazard coasting through careers and stuff is going to work. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Listen, there may be a season in your life where you got to work two jobs. There there may be a season in your life where you have to do that. Shortly after I got appointed as a pastor, and I'm not saying this to boast myself up, but me and my wife, we were struggling financially. I came to her and I said, babe, I I, I might need to get a second job. I might need to get a second job. I had a full-time job, but it it wasn't 
bringing in what we needed to, to live. Right? And, and sometimes, fellas, y'all, y'all, it doesn't matter what happens in your life. You're never at that point where you'll do anything to make sure you take care of your business. See, I had, to, I had to process through the reality of possibly stepping back as a pastor so that I could work two jobs and provide for my family. Sometimes you got to give up stuff you like to do to take care of your responsibilities. If you need to work two jobs and you're going to miss life group, work the two jobs. Don't try to, don't, don't, don't you dare, because I'll go back to the punching you in your face thing. Don't, don't, like, if you, sit, if you sit up in here and you tell me that you're missing out on fellowship and you're missing out on community and, and all that stuff and you ain't providing for your family and you can't pay no bills, like, listen, like, nah, that, that doesn't fly. You, you're not a mature Christian for saying that to me. Jesus is not pleased that you're always here. Serving in the ministry, but your home is a wreck because you don't got a good work ethic. Five. This is the last one, too. Five. Your work should be motivated by love and obedience for God, not for pleasure or reward, and is not dictated by how long or short-term your job is. What, 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 what do I mean by that? What I mean is, many times, the, the, the efficiency of our work drops when we're not getting recognized for doing it. So, because nobody notices the good work you're doing, you justify in your heart not doing good work. Or, if, if you know you're going to be leaving your job soon... You just hang it up. You, you, I mean, you just clock out. I mean, we, we all do that. And I, I mean, I, I, I know that, you know, God is watching and all that. And we try to encourage each other with all that stuff. But you don't really live like God is watching you. See, the, the, the issue isn't whether or not you believe God is watching the work you do. The issue is whether or not you're okay if he's the only one who sees. All right. I'm just going to share a few verses real quick with you guys. Share a few verses with you quick and then I'm out of your way. Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Sometimes as guys, as men, you need to forecast what life is going to be like. 
You need, to, you need to initiate a trajectory for your life and the life of your family if you have one. Uh, because I, what happens, if you're not thinking about next year, if you're not thinking about five years from now, if you're not thinking about 10 years from now, if you haven't set up a trajectory from your family to, to move from where you're at to where you want to be, like you'll always be playing from behind. You'll always be playing from behind. 1 Thessalonians 4.10 through 12. But we urge you, brothers, aspire to live quietly. Keep, keep, I, I want you guys to remember that. We urge you, brothers, to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies, which means you try to make yourself look busy and you ain't really doing nothing. You real busy, but ain't getting nothing accomplished. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly, right, and to earn their own living. What, is it, what does that mean, to live quietly or to, to work quietly? I'll give you an example. Um, when, I, when I go to the gym, um, um, Jesus, when, when, I, when I go to the gym sometimes, there's these, there's these guys, um, and, and I'll just call them muscle heads, and, and they come in with the spaghetti strap little shirt thing on. Um, and they got the tight little small pants that like come up here so you can see their, their like basically bodies bulging out of their legs. It looked like they just taped a small child to the front of their leg or something. And, and so, you, you know, you see them walking in there and they got, they got a gallon of water in one hand and a gallon of creatine in the other hand. And, um, and, and, and. You know, one of the, actually, the gym I go to, Pastor Larry goes to, what, what's the name when he call them again? Lunk, is it Lunkheads? Lunkheads, yes. So Planet Fitness has this thing called Lunkheads up on the board. So if you, you know, if, if you see guys like that, they sound the alarm just to make them feel bad for coming in there with that nonsense. It's funny. But, uh, so, but you see these guys come in there, and they just, they get down on the bed. I mean, they, they put, like, I mean, they put ridiculous amounts of weights on there, like, I mean, it just don't make no sense. And then they lay down. You know, they don't do no warm-ups or nothing. They don't stretch like nothing. They just come in, they lay down, and then all you hear is, ah! And then you guys, somebody spotting them. They're like, come on, son, get it. Say it with your chest. Like, they, they just, they, you know, they got, they, so they be doing, they be, they be doing all that. And, and, and the purpose is, the, the purpose is so everybody can watch them. Like, you ain't no need to make all that noise. Like, they, they want people to see them and admire how much weight they're lifting, and they want people to look at their physique, and they want people to pay attention to them. They want everybody to stop what, they, stop what they're doing and pay attention to them. Matter they, What they're doing, they want to be a distraction. That's what it means to live and work quietly. It means in the scope and realm of your life, don't be a distraction to people. Which means to, to, to go about doing your work regardless if somebody sees you or not. It means stop, 
Stop expecting people to, to, to take care of your business for you. It says, the, the Bible says, be dependent upon no one. Stop looking for people to provide everything for you. Listen, sometimes you're going to go through some difficult times and you don't need to ask nobody for nothing. You know what you need to do? Pray and trust in Jesus. Listen, I know we're the body of Christ and I know we help each other out in rough times. But if, if you're that person that always wants somebody to help them, like, like, like that's not what the Bible's talking about when they talk about sharing things in common. The Bible doesn't lose, use this word, but you're a leech. <laughs> Work quietly. It means, it, I know we got that popular term today where everybody wants to be on their grind. What you doing? Grinding. <laughs> Where you going to eat later? I'm grinding. Every, everything's a grind. Listen, the, there's a difference between being on your grind and work. The chief end of being on your grind is money and notoriety. The chief end of work is God's glory. So when we talk about these things, we're not just talking about merely just your job career, because there's multiple sectors in your life that require work, which basically is like having responsibilities, right? So this doesn't just apply to your career, it applies to your home life. It, apply, it applies to your, like, how you volunteer for ministry. Like, it, it applies, the, the, the work ethic that you have. A poor, lazy, selfish work ethic will show up in other areas of life. Like, you, you can try to define the sectors of your life, but if you've got a poor work ethic, don't expect it to just stay in one. There will be overlap. Guarantee it. There will be overlap. But, and so, so, so we've got the purpose of work ethic. We've seen it in the life of Daniel. But, but, but I mean, we've got, an, we've, got an exa- we've got an ultimate example of what godly work ethic should look like. We've got a perfect example, right? What, what happens if Jesus didn't fully heal the blind man and he came back the next day and had lost his sight again? Or what if he came 1,237 pieces of loaves short when he was feeding the 5,000. What, like, what, what happens if, if, if the father's not fully satisfied with the cross? And let, let's, let's not, like, Jesus was, he was God, but he was, he was man too. Jesus had a real job. He had a real job as a carpenter. He worked hard, probably long hours, blisters on his hand. And he did get tired. We see different points of Jesus' ministry where he got tired. So we know he experienced 
being tired. So being tired is not an excuse to not work hard. But then let's, let's look at the spiritual eternal value of, of work. In Gethsemane, Jesus, he's, he's so anxious about the work he has to do on the cross that he's sweating blood. But he doesn't let his anxiety about the hard work that he has to do stop him from entrusting himself to God to get the work done. Like, we, we've, we've got a high priest that has worked before. The beautiful thing that we can take away is he finished everything he came to do. He finished, he finished everything. That's why when he, that's why when he, he got up, when, when he was on the cross, that's why before he gave up the ghost, he, he made a pronouncement to let you know, I accomplished every last task I set out to do. He said, to tell us die, it is finished. It is done. It's done. So we, when we talk about work, when we talk about work, it, it has to be motivated by a love of God and an obedience to want to honor God and see his name glorified amongst the world because if it's motivated by anything else, it will always fall short. There's not enough promotions. There's not enough uh, uh, attention from your boss or, or your wife or your ministry leader. There's not enough. You'll never get what you're looking for. And if you're depending on receiving that before the quality of your work gets to a place where it can honor the Lord, you'll always be lacking. Jesus has to be the goal of why you work. It has to be enough for you. It has to be enough. Because anything else falls short. Anything else falls short. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, oh God. Uh, we thank you for your marvelous work on the cross. How it serves as an example for us. Uh, how it serves as an encouragement for us. Um, yet at the same time, you didn't stop there because you sent us a helper uh, who uh, encourages us and walks with us and empowers us by the, the power of God to be able to finish things that we start uh, so that it can glorify you. And so, God, I pray that um, just as you talk about a renewing of the mind taking place, I pray, I pray that our minds will be renewed as it relates to why we work and how we work so that, that everything we do, whether we eat or whether we drink, uh, it may be to the glory of God. So, Lord, may you be honored, may you be glorified, and may you be praised today and this time. Amen.